Welcome to Creative Welly, episode 20. This is Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. This is the audio version of the video podcast, which is produced by John O'Tucker over at Empire Films and hosted by our friends at Flashdog Studios, which is David Hamilton. My name is DK, and you'll hear me throughout this podcast. In this episode, we're chatting with Karen Fifield, Chief Executive at Wellington Zoo, and John Holt, founder at All Things Considered and involved in many other projects. In this episode, you'll hear us talking about business models, conservation, sustainability, entrepreneurship, productivity, and so on and so forth. Please enjoy. So, thank you for being here. We have a rolling start. We don't have welcome to... I want to ask you a juicy question to kick off, maybe, is what is something that's happened to you already this week that has really excited you with potential or anything? Oh. Well, the thing that's really excited me is the fact that my son is here from Australia. And that's huge potential for us in terms of New Zealand, really, Mm. in terms of travel opening up again and you know, being able to actually see friends and family, mm. you know, think about what that might mean for business, mm. you know, in terms of people coming and travelling and especially for tourism in New Zealand. So it's really quite exciting, really. It's Definitely. Great. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely to have that little bubble open. Right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. How about you, John? Well, I've had just a reorganisation of my working space, which um, doesn't sound that exciting, but the thing about <laughs> it is there's a lot of things to discover. So what do you mean by reorganisation? Oh, like the physical workspace? Around and, right, okay. And there's bits and pieces I've found, you know, photos and various things, and you know, it's always exciting. And Definitely. Old ventures, new ventures. Yeah. It's always good, isn't it? Like, it's almost like the change is good for you. You know, when you, when you do that, you think, oh, yeah, I remember that, or whatever, yeah. I'm a big good. fan of Marie Kondo. Oh, yeah. What's yeah, Marie Kondo? I don't know what that is. Producing Japanese, yeah, expert in organisation. She wrote that book, yeah. I think she's written a number of books, but you hug each item, you know, metaphorically or physically, and if it brings you joy, you keep it, and if it doesn't, you... Get rid of it. Well, not get rid of it, leave it off to somebody else. Don't throw it away. Someone else's treasure, right? Okay. Well, I do like that quote, you should only have two things in your home, things that are useful and things that are beautiful. There's a famous minimalist mm. quote around that. Yeah. And that's lovely to mm. think about. Yeah. It is, yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely. So in terms of your, uh, you talked about change here and having things that are, are moving, uh, both in terms of your, mm. your son and moving around. What has the last year been for you uh, both uh, in terms of reflection or even the last 18 months we can say now, right? Really? Come on. I've actually really enjoyed the last year, but I think okay. if Probably if you asked me just in my nature, I'd probably say I enjoyed any mm. last 12-month period. Yeah. But um, a lot of learning, mm. and a lot of learning about people, and people's what sort of drives me. Okay. Um, you know, we, uh, I'm involved in the aviation sector quite heavily, and um, that sector basically literally stopped. Mm. Um, mm. So that's a fascinating kind of people and business of challenge, and it wasn't just one sector, it was mm. the whole thing. Mm. Um, the organisation I'm involved in, yeah, we lost 97% of our revenue in, in a week. Uh, so how do you deal with that? Like, what's the reaction? First, is it fear or madness or crazy, you know, like, what, what do, could you well, plot it now in terms of reflection? Yeah, I mean, it'll, you know, what do they say about that Chinese philosopher? They asked him about the impact of the French Revolution on the 20th century, said it was too early to tell. 
Um, <laughs> I think the combination of fear, which you know, is often not really there in a corporate sort of mm. sense. Yeah. You know, you lose revenue, you lose, you know, no one dies. Mm. Um, but in this particular case, you know, we had that, you know, almost perfect storm of mm. of human fear, you know, mm. for themselves, for their families, for and just this massive, massive uncertainty. Mm. So I think the summary for me would be, you know, what we what we learned to do rather than pride ourselves on a really accurate plan was just to embrace uncertainty mm. and plan for that, which was, you know, mm. it's actually very, very hard. How did that manifest when you say, oh, we <clears throat> planned and we learned from it? Well, you shorten your time frames okay. uh, and you shorten your metrics um, to, to, you know, those that are barely within your control mm. and everything else you just put on hold until you can revisit and say, well, it might be a reasonable assumption to to bring that back into play and then for us of course in the sky I mean safety is the mm. is the number one priority so you know it's it's ironic but human behavior uh, whether it's pilots or a- any sort of engagement um, a pronounced level of reduced activity actually increases risk uh, because it leaves okay. people's brains you know not in the, the same space and other things can enter that and and so you actually plan for that as well. Wow. So tell us a little bit about that aviation uh, industry. Um, what's the product you, you do? What's the service? Oh, so I'm on the board of Airways New Zealand. So yeah. we manage 34 million square kilometres of airspace. So if you're flying from <laughs> the US to. I surely had to wrap your head around straight <laughs> off the bat, right? Yeah. Manage airspace. Manage airspace, yeah. Wow. And it's, it is something to wrap your head around because you, know, you probably remember the Jetsons, right? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Where Jetsons are not far away. Uh, coming off the acetate and coming onto into our skies, so mm. airspace takes on a, a very different meaning. It gets um, a lot more meaningful, a lot lower uh, in the in the sort of stratosphere. So, yeah. so we you know we're basically the traffic conductors of of everything that that flies in the air. Well, in fact, now back to the Jetsons, not everything because you know you can be a pilot at age four for about sixty bucks. And fly at about you know 500 feet um, badly, or well, mm-hmm. um, but you know there's a lot of things you can get in the way of. So it's a fascinating time for that sort of future mm-hmm. state that you know the Jetsons just so I think ably that's the one we always go to in terms of describing you know mm-hmm. where we're close to. But what yeah. was that a 1960s cartoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, within 50 years we're close. Yeah, and you see those um, almost Iron Man esque things that the military are using now to kind of get off one ship mm. to another mm. and you know the military are always the first uh, first adopters with these technology but it won't be too long do you think how, well how long do you think when we are flying around with so as you said you know we're flying around now mm. but the challenge is um, you know if uh, if the Domino's pizza drone crashes into the uh, pizza hut pizza drone over Wellington Zoo yeah uh, who's liable yeah. Uh, and who's actually responsible for mm. controlling and ensuring yeah. that you know that's right. a, a safe sort of future for us all? So yeah. that's the barrier, you know, to your question. Is yeah. um, I think a lot of these devices are. You know, this is the fascinating thing about innovation, right? Here's, yeah. a, here's one for you. Guess when the, the solar panel was invented? I want to say it's probably a long time ago. But, but what? Not. Like 19, 18? No, it would have been like the twentieth century. Eighteen eighty-six. Yeah, I was wow! Say, probably a long time Seriously? ago. Seriously, before it actually became yeah. part of 
our world, right? Yeah. Right, I suppose. And as I understand it, there was a, there was a entrepreneurial chap, um, Charles Freese, I think his name was, mm. and he came up with this cool new concept. But he came up with it timing-wise, and you know, timing is such a big thing in, totally. in the world. The At the market, same time, yeah. a whole lot of big capitalists had just put money into coal-fired electricity right. plants. Yeah. So guess how much airtime or you know fundraising mm. he was able to open up? Yeah. Not, not mm. much. Yeah. Uh, that, that sort of stuff fascinates me. And the photovoltaic kind of innovation um, line that I've seen now, where it's getting to the point where it's becoming the most efficient, not only the most prevalent in some cases as well. Like Germany just tipped yep. over into becoming more solar efficient mm. than anything else, as I understand it. Yeah, I think maybe, the, but but it's still the last time I checked in on it was only five percent of the the electricity generation in the world. Okay, which only again five. just you know sort of. Boggles the mind. It's a bit mind-boggling, isn't it? It's yeah. like you've got this great big thing up there with all this power, and we just don't utilise it well. Yeah. We'd rather clean. dig it out. And it's clean. And it's clean. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, sustainability is one of the things. We might come back to the airways, by the way. But sustainability is one of the things you t you guys do as a, as a Venn diagram overlap on. Mm. You know, um, mm. and I'd love to kind of kick it off with you in terms of that topic. Like, where does yeah. sustainability as a topic sit with you, and what you do with the Wellington yeah. Zoo, and what you've done as well? Well, we were the first carbon zero certified zoo in the world, That's which was cool. pretty cool. Very cool. Um, that was back in 2013. Mm. before people were thinking about it really. Um, so that's been quite an interesting journey for us mm. in terms of investment and sort of dealing with the low hanging fruit and then what's next. So that's been quite an interesting journey. But to me sustainability is the opposite side of the coin to conservation. There's no okay. point telling people that they have to look after the planet, we have to conserve species if we're not actually walking the talk. Gotcha. So for us it's about those two things coming together if we're going to be a true conservation organisation. So sustainability was something we really felt we needed to do. And the good thing about sustainability that people often don't understand is it's really good for your bottom line. It's actually great. Mm. You know, we saved a lot of money on things like power, mm -hmm. on water, you know, things that you know, people have to pay for in terms of utilities. Mm. And actually thinking about what you're doing with that, waste to landfill, all of that stuff, if you can get that right, there's huge savings for the business. So it's actually a good thing for the business, but it's a great thing for the planet. So how did you go about that, like the process? Mm -hmm. How do you book well, first start that? Was it a board sea change happening of people no, getting literate or no. did you have to fight for it? No, no, everyone okay. just got it. And then we, we started doing environmental sustainability. Okay. So thinking about you know things like power, water, mm. waste to landfill. And then over time, we've moved into more social sustainability around accessibility for the zoo. You know, like we're gold rated um, for be accessible, um, things like that around because that's social sustainability and allowing, allowing people to have access to community assets. So we look at sustainability quite holistically. But when we started, it was all about environmental sustainability. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you know, we often say to people is just start, because mm. people think they've got to get it right and everything's got to be lined up and there's got to be this big plan and you've got to have measured everything mm. before you actually start. Well, actually, just start. Just then begin. think about where it takes you, because you'd be quite surprised how quickly you can get there. Mm. And I know with us, we were thinking about whether or not we could be ready for, for looking at certification and uh, we got a grant through DIA 
to bring a consultant in to have a look at where we were at with our measurement and whatever. Anyway, so he came in and he said, you're ready to go for certification. And we're like, no, we're not. No, no. we're not. He said, yes, you are. So then we talked to Toy2, um, EnviroCare, and they came in and they said, yes, you are ready. So it was really quite an interesting thing because we thought we had to keep doing more and more and more, mm. which we have done over the years because it's all about reduction. It's not about offsets, it's about right. reduction. So you've got to do more and more and more as the time goes on. Mm. And the expectations become greater, of course. Mm. Um, but we didn't think that we were ready. So that's what we always say to people, just start. Mm. Just do something. You know, like I often think if, you know, if the quarter of a million people who came through the zoo stopped using plastic, that how cool would that be? Such a critical mass of change, which would be so good. You know, so things yeah. like that that can involve our visitors, our community, as well as us. So that's what it means to us as an organisation. No small thing. No. 2013 so thing. as well. That's a lovely yeah, tech, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and we do a lot of work with um, recycling our uniforms. So I know that's something you're interested in, in terms of yeah, textile waste and is. things like that. It is. In fact, um, yeah, I just became fascinated about that area, yeah. um, particularly in relation to landfill, right? Because yeah. It's the second largest contributor to landfill, mm -hmm. second to food. Mm. But uh, the big difference is that 95% of it, 95% is actually reusable. Yeah. Uh, whereas right. obviously the food waste is this, this challenge with that yeah. reusability. Yeah. But, um, and most of it's clothes. Yes, yeah. that's right. And it ends up in all sorts of places. It ends up in all right. sorts of places, yeah. yeah. It does. yeah not just landfill, oceans and it's, so on. Right? Oh, it ends up piled up on sides of roads. In, mm. in the developing world and you know. Well the thing that got me was that um, the fibres coming off your clothes even when you haven't decided mm. to recycle them mm. uh, into the water is actually becoming yeah. a significant pollutant as well. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, these little so, micro beads and micro things that are. Right, yeah, yeah. So, so we're talking about probably more man-made materials there, right? The polyester stuff rather than, I would imagine, yeah, mostly, mostly, mostly human-made, yeah. 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 So how's that manifested for you in terms of your interest? Because I know you... Um, so I had a, a lady approach me on LinkedIn. I have this theory in life and it's quite fun. I'll meet, I'll meet anybody once. <laughs> um, and she stalked me on LinkedIn. Her name's Dee and she, um, she wanted to, to talk about entrepreneurship with regards to social impact. And she had... Um, I went to her house and her house uh, uh, was literally... Um, the front lawn was covered in clothes and games and toys. She was having an open day uh, in Johnsonville. And uh, her garage was literally, the big double garage was literally full to the ceiling with more boxes of, big banana boxes yeah. of, of games and toys and books. So what she'd latched onto um, working through some of the opportunity shops is that um, in theory, they, you know, they're, they're, they're recycling, they're charging per item and they're recycling, but mm. they actually throw a lot of stuff away. Yep. Okay. And so she, um, she's, I, 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 I define her as being allergic to waste. So she's the sort of person who, who will go to the landfill and actually come back with more than she went to, mm -hmm. to drop off. Um, so long story short, well, it really sort of opened my eyes to, to something that systemically, you know, there's a real opportunity to change. Um, and so we created um, a system around her basically. Uh, one of my companies built her a website, it's a bit like Trade Me, so it's called Free For All, mm -hmm. freeforall.co.nz. And it just basically allows people to trade in the interests of waste minimisation rather than anything else. So we have a, 
a big shop out in Porirua and we charge $5 uh, and you can take away as much of our stuff as you like. Oh, wow. uh, there's racks and racks of clothes and books and games and toys. So five bucks to enter. Five bucks to enter. Which is like yeah. a, a door fee. Like, yeah, door fee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then we weigh it at the end. So rather than coming and getting a handout, you're, um, you're helping us drive towards our waste minimisation. That's right. cool. So we've done 5,000 kilograms of waste diversion this year in that, in that shop alone. Which, um, mm. which sort of really hits the nail on the head for me, both environmentally but also socially, right? Because mm. a lot of these people are getting access to things That's that right. um, they would just never have access to. So. Yeah. yeah. That's immense. Yeah, yeah, it's big. And, about the scale. Yeah, and the vision is to, to try and franchise that, so create a franchise for good. And I think, you know, it's, um, it's that mm. just starting sort yeah. of mentality that that's, you have to. That's so right. We just started and it was on the yeah. back of Dee's lawn and, and, and right. in her husband Jason's garage and well, they're both their garage, yeah. and, but he didn't, you know, nothing could be fitted in there other than. <laughs> and, um, and we just get, and we actually now get wool fadges of items that we've negotiated to take from these opportunity shops rather than have them take them to, to landfill. Because some of them have big contracts with um, waste management, right? Yeah. Oh, so they're cutting their costs, Dan? Well, yeah, well, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we can actually save the money on that. Um, mm. We'll take it. We sort it. Um, we probably get about a 5% um, uh, you know, waste rate. There is stuff that you know, sadly isn't reusable, but it's still 95% of it, which was just going in a big truck to landfill. With, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Because we started doing our uniform recycling mm. with the formery. Yep. with Bernadette um, and Peter and that was just it's a game changer really mm. because again it's the social side of it not only us without you know ways to landfill but people are, are having those you know sort of reused articles that they wouldn't have access to mm. so that's been really great for us in terms of that sort of social side of it as well as the environmental side as you say yeah yeah, yeah. I mean um, I think that's the other thing about this area too you know to your point about um, social sustainability mm. is that the impact of these things and mm. there's actually an organisation here in, in Wellington started a few years ago called Impact Lab um, and it was started by um, a friend of mine and a very um, driven woman who was involved in um, Emily was involved in, in government around that sort of policy area and actually mm. deciding to to map out just the, the various intricacies of impact from these events that's right. And so, for example, when you look at doing something like free-for-all, we had um, Emily Mason and, and her team just give us a, mm. an indicator of that, and it was fascinating because it, it, it broached things like recidivism, you know, so parents will do, you know, often whatever it takes to get mm. their kids what they need, and that will, right. that will include, you know, committing crimes, and Correct. sometimes wow. they get caught doing that. So yep. um, there's just, just this fascinating web of work to do um, yeah, around just there not is. just the environmental, but the sustainable stuff, right? Yeah, well, that's why I really love the Sustainable Development Goals, and mm. people have different views about yeah. them, of course. But um, I just think they are just such a great framework to work in terms of sustainability. And this is the decade of action. Mm. And, you know, what are we doing about it? We're in 2021, so we're almost into nine years now. Yeah. So we've really got to think about that as a framework around sustainability, because it does, you know, the 17 goals really cover off everything that we need to do. Mm. As a, as a planet to actually look after what we, the, the thing we live on, sure. you know, yeah. and, and I don't hear a lot of conversation about the Sustainable Development Goals yet, even though we're into the decade of action. Mm. Have so, you, are you a, as an organisation adopted them or yeah, have so ratified them in some kind of way? Yeah, we did a materiality study um, 
looking at what our stakeholders, our members and our staff thought we should be focusing on because organisations take different views about it. We decided mm. we couldn't do all 17, but what were going to be the main five or six that we could focus on mm, over yeah. this period of strategy, so for the next five years. So we did a materiality study looking at that and landing on our five. Obviously life on land, life below water, mm. quality education, um, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption. Perfect. So yeah. looking at those, um, those particular SDGs and how we're going to do it, um, and so we can measure against those. Mm. So I'm um, on the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums Council and we launched a, our sustainability strategy last year, um, which is framed around the SDGs. So this is our global document, our global strategy for what zoos and aquariums around the world can do on each of those SDGs. Right. So Just we'll be able to measure that across the membership and be able to say, hopefully this is my big idea, that I would love it to be, a, we could report to the UN to say this yeah. is what we've done as a profession mm to actually deal with the SDGs yeah. and what have we been able to do as a collective. It's, it's so accessible, the SDGs, right? Yeah. They've, they've done so much great work around making it very applicable as well, mm. where you can very quickly jump online, mm. as yeah. you said, from the UN, you can find totally. it really simple, you can kind of work it all out. Yep. And they're not saying this is the whole, that they are encouraging people to just take a few, yeah, aren't they? What really right. matters to you and what you can achieve through it. Yeah, one of the things that really was interesting when we spoke to the World Business Council for Sustainable Development has a director of sustainable development goals. And James Gomez is his name. And he spoke at our World Association of Zoos and Aquariums conference last year when we were launching this document. And he said the one that business does worst is life below water. Mm. Okay. Because they don't quite get it, right? They mm. get, you know, things like gender equality and things like that. So he said, you know, for us as a profession around world zoos and aquariums, yeah. you know, life below water could be quite a phenomenal one. And then I went, well, wouldn't that be a fabulous one for New Zealand to focus on? Yeah. Because, you know, the sea is so important to us. Mm -hmm. Rivers are so important to us. Yeah, we've got a fair bit of it. Got a fair bit of water, right? So yeah. wouldn't that be a very cool SDG for us to focus yeah. on? When it's obviously not one that business is doing well yet. And not yeah. obvious for most people. And we got yeah. people already here, uh, uh, people like ghost fishing, if yeah. you don't know, mm -hmm. doing the diving in the harbour and mm -hmm. just cleaning up our waterways, yeah, who right. are like leading the world in terms exactly. of what they're pulling from yeah. the stuff yeah. and really making that um, mm -hmm. environment, I suppose, not just cleaner, but uh, from the story perspective, go, oh, yeah, we need to tend to, to that space, <laughs> even though we don't see it, right? Yeah, we yeah. still need to tend it as yeah, well and farm right. what we don't see underwater. Fascinating. What about you and SDG goals and just the wider system? Yeah, well, I've only spent the last three years of my life sort of looking at this. Um, <laughs> only? Uh, yeah. Come on, that's yeah. not a, a chunk of time. <laughs> it's so. been a long life. But, um, <laughs> Yes, I think they, they've done a good job, but, you know, yeah. to pick up on your point about, you know, time of action. Yeah. Uh, I think what's probably more exciting to me is, is it's actually a time of activism as well. Mm. And, um, you know, we're actually seeing, sadly, not my generation mm. as much, but Generation Z, if you're in America, or Z, yeah. if you're here, um, yeah. they're activists, right? And there's actually a social yeah, um, credibility and currency from that. So yeah. that really gives me... Um, quite a lot of confidence and you know, I've started a new venture called All Things Considered mm -hmm. um, with um, 
with really the goal of just showing people one aspect and this is coming back to the SDGs and sort of focusing on what yeah. you can impact. Yeah. I wanted to put all the companies of all the publicly listed uh, stock indexes online and, and make it easy for you to see what they were genuinely doing mm -hmm. uh, against the SDGs actually yeah. but um, the harsh realities for me and maybe it was just the research that I did but um, they're just nowhere near better than... No they're not. And, um, and even worse, there's probably more of a movement in the corporate and sort of commercial sector to hire somebody to sort of get you by, mm. rather than what you've done, um, mm. I think, extremely early and, 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 and right, you know, just to really demonstrably. Mm. You know, just doing a, a bit of a read, you can actually see. Mm. And you don't see that, you know, in the research mm. we did for a lot of these listed companies, you see so much greenwashing. It's, um, ah. It's uh, appalling. Yeah, see, that's, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's the old saying, you know, that government raises a floor, business raises a ceiling. So, you know, business can really take the lead in this in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be really good to see more businesses not doing that, mm. but actually really embracing it and going, right, we're going to make a difference mm. when it comes to this stuff. It's yeah. a lovely phrase, right? And yeah. I think that that for me is the third leg. That's why um, we've started All Things Considered because that regulatory piece. Uh, yeah. So rather than advocacy right. from government, we're, we're going to see serious regulation. Right. Yeah, so right. tell us about All Things Considered. What's the, um, the plan and, and the five to five hundred yeah, so, year impact? So so, um, so basically, we want to to have impact on the textile industry mm -hmm. uh, from the cotton field to um, the high street store. Because if you look at that supply chain and how those items actually get to your to your yeah. front end store, um, they create more greenhouse gases than the entire aviation sector. Um, right. And that's a measure that we put in place. You know, the aviation sector measure pre-COVID. So normal, isn't it? Oh, it's just it just blew me away. So, mm. so you know, a lot of that activism and action yeah. um, is challenged immediately by a lack of transparency. That's right. And a lack of easy to access information. And when we researched Gen Generation Z, um, the last place they go now to the point of this mm. uh, you know, mm. company or corporate responsibility is the company's website to see what they're actually doing genuinely. Mm. Uh, so there's this, you know, we've lost this truth and trust mm. uh, element. Everyone assumes that somebody is not telling the truth and then they wind their way back rather than having yeah, that sort right. of... Um, so all things considered is about just really bringing a lot of that public data together. Um, a lot of these sites do, do very good work, but they tend to try and encourage companies to come on. You know, there's a fee or, you know, they have to have some sort yeah, of sustainability right. themselves. But what we're doing is putting everyone on there uh, so you don't get a choice. <laughs> um, you don't have to activate or engage with us, but, um, you know, kind of like Ancestry.com, we want to oh, show yeah. you. Yeah. Mm. Um, right back from brand X or Y yeah. um, through to where they sourced. It's their the whole from. value chain thing, right? Mm. You know, like where do you get stuff? Where do you end, where does it end up? Mm. Like how do you measure the value chain, and how do you make sure that you're being sustainable all the way along? You know, from suppliers to your own decision making as well. And it's often hard with suppliers because, as you say, you know, when we were doing some value chain work and looking at, say, our animal food and we were getting a whole lot of animal food from the US and we were saying to them, and where are you getting your supplies from? And they're like, gee, we've never asked ourselves that question. Mm, oh, so right. then they actually did the work 
they change some of their suppliers. So you, if you actually make those decisions to do it, you can influence suppliers as well. So you end up with a much bigger effect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly the impact that we're looking yeah. to have. Is you know, um, our research says that consumers are doing the research. Yeah. Um, the problem we're solving is that they're frustrated by the the sources that they have to go to, yeah. either from the point mm. of view of their authenticity mm. or the fact that they're just fragmented. Mm. Yeah. Um, so by putting it in one place, and then we're just basically going to show you what a company has done mm. in regards to certifications. Yeah. or even their own initiatives. That's right. Um, and then some of these innovations, which come back to things like um, Tursal and some of these, you know, very, you know, long-researched items that you mm. could fill a puffer jacket with. Mm. That's right. not going to drop that, you know, microbead sort mm. of gotcha. yeah. That's right. And so we don't want to go down to a product-by-product. Product. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots no. of good sites that do that. There's, there's things like um, the, the formery and usefully. Yeah, right. So we just really want to curate those yeah. together mm. so that someone yeah. on that journey that's right. um, can just you know, can just take off and use mm. us as that you know, um, trusted springboard to, to, to get into the right information. And, and you're right, there's a whole lot of stuff still to do, like um, even looking at sustainable palm oil. Mm. You know, we don't have truth in labelling mm. for, for palm oil in New Zealand or Australia because um, it's a decision made by both countries. Mm. We only get one vote. Australia gets nine votes. Mm. And so we don't have, you know, and sustainable palm oil is a good thing. Mm. You know, it's not about banning palm oil, but it's about using sustainable palm oil because it's actually the most efficient oil. Mm. It's much better than any other oil. Right. But we don't have truth in labelling. So you can be somewhere mm. in Europe and it'll show you what's in the chocolate, but we don't have any of that. Yeah. Or we have chocolate that has no palm oil. You know, so we go to the extreme where probably sustainable palm oil is the best outcome. Mm. But we don't have the truth in labelling and it's really hard to get that changed for Australia and New Zealand. And is that where the regulatory uh, mention? That yeah, you're, you're well there's two things. I mean, right, yeah. in my opinion, you know, marketing's just got way out of control. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first thing you do, and you know, this is this is now, you know, it's, this is the sort of programming element of it. It's almost an unintentional mm. behaviour, you know, yeah. from marketing. Is like, well, how do we make it look like we are doing this? Mm. The example I always give is going to buy. I'm half Scottish, so you know, um, apologies to those who don't subscribe to this, but you know, we Scots tend to be, you know, very prudent with our financial <laughs> scenarios. So I'm always drawn to that bottle of wine you know, at the supermarket, which um, is on special with the big red thing and has three little, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, gold yeah. circles yeah, yeah. in the top right-hand side of the... You look now at how many yeah. bottles of wine have that, and, of course, when I get home with my eyesight, I look at it and it basically <laughs> says, have a nice day. But um, that, to me, typifies the challenges that we have around how to really make impact and who is actually yeah. genuinely, Who's genuinely doing stuff. You know, that, sh that should say, you know, sustainable development goal focused and certified by X or Y, but yeah. very rarely mm. uh, do they actually. And sometimes it's not even intentional because that's just the yeah. world we've that's right. we brought ourselves into. Yeah, yeah if they're right. not being asked to do something, they won't, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. So the end game as well is to move some policy and change some laws. Well, that's happening. That's the great thing. I mean, right. Ministry for Environment here in New Zealand, that's I think, right. is, um, is really ramping up to, to look at this concept of product stewardship, mm. particularly around textiles. Mm. And that's holding these brands accountable yeah. um, for where that item goes, not just after first mm. point of sale, mm. yeah. where, where it ends up, how long that's it takes right. it to actually end up on the cost side of us.
from an environmental and a you know a cost right. point of view. So I don't know how that's going to be. You know, it's a fascinating challenge to take up. You think about it. You know, you've got a you've got a store that has a stock list and a database, and mm -hmm. you sell it to somebody who generally just yep. buys it. it. Might be on their credit card, but yeah. somehow you're going to start to push people to track more closely that, that sort of relationship. And it is about the data, right? Mm. It's actually making sure that we use the data well. Yeah. 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 And to reveal it in some cases. And to reveal it, yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's not on there, but if it was, we'd be yeah. more informed, to make better decisions, informed, and then yeah. the dollar always drives the, the change as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right, it does. Yeah. It does. And yeah. that stewardship is a lovely yeah. concept going forward, and, and I do feel a little bit frustrated as an immigrant here how New Zealand is, is kind of missing opportunities around that stewardship. Mm. You know, we could become a world leader, and we are in some cases yeah. doing amazing things, but generally as a nation, we could be adopting those SDGs mm. and really pushing, pushing ahead and, and allowing other people to follow us, follow mm. us you know, uh, and become a benchmark. And I know that, you know, the government is doing work with the SDGs, but, you know, like the Netherlands has a has a, a person in charge of SDGs in the government, a minister for SDGs, you know, so they, go. you know, so it's, it, and I think we're doing it a little differently, which is fine. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot around climate action, mm -hmm. you know, that's an important one that we have to consider for um, SDGs. Sure. Yeah. So there is a lot of work being done, you know, as you said, at MFE, mm. um, but also like, you know, with, with the government in terms of climate action, mm -hmm. that's really good, but yeah. Well, I think you have to have structure for you know yeah. a whole lot of humans to follow you, and, yeah, right, you yeah. and that essentially is what the SDGs are. But you know, a lot of people, yeah. to a layer below that, just by nature of scale, don't realise that New Zealand has their own structure. Right? We have the Living Standards Framework, mm. which basically defines you know from environment through to mm. to social uh, what we want to live to mm. um, as a country, and and you know the government follows us very very closely from anything mm. from mm. diversity and wellness to. That's right. To environmental, but that's the challenge. Is you know, if you have too many frameworks, people are, we're, right. we're back to the wine scenario. You know, that's yeah. um, yeah. it's it's sort of that scenario. So, I think your point is the the big one. is just you know, at the end of the day, humans are relatively smart in the whole. That's right. So just think about your own scenario. That's and right. You might mm. come across some false information, but a yeah. pretty Google search of how to become more sustainable will give you some clues yeah. as to what you could just do right now. That's right. Mm. That's yeah. lovely, man. Yeah. So I want to kind of just stick with you, John, about I want to uncover some of your journey from a perspective of I, I really enjoy going through LinkedIn profiles and try to find <laughs> threads when you reveal things and stuff. And for someone like you, John, by the way, it's just Some like, briquettes. okay, <laughs> yes, you got a problem, man. You know, and you're a director on too many things, found in too many things. I think you need help in the nicest possible. But you, I like the way you describe yourself as a serial founder. Mm. Um, you've done it for a few years now, and also you've been involved in, I suppose, the governance of a lot of organizations, whether it be on the board or director and stuff like that. Mm. What do you think the state of the ecosystem is in New Zealand when it comes to entrepreneurship? Well, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I still think it's fairly soft. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why, um, as I do anybody who asks me. <laughs> um, well, I think our productivity uh, issue as a country is, just needs to be fixed. Right. Um, and I think we need to figure out how we want to fix that because um, there's a number of ways that you can do it. Mm -hmm. But modelling Israel or Silicon Valley is not one of them, no. yeah. unless we get a trillion dollars from somewhere. 
or we get a scenario where Australia and Fiji want to invade us every sort of, you know, five <laughs> to ten minutes. So neither of those things seem likely to be happening soon. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had some incredible, um, uh, luck would be the wrong word because these companies are, yeah. you know, the people have worked fantastically hard and they've put, built themselves a position. We've had four or five very large acquisitions of companies mm. um, uh, that, that deserve to, to see that value created. But to your question, what I go to is how many more we could have had right. um, if we had actually worked on some of those core elements to get more of the the Vaughans and the Ryans and the Timelys and the Vens um, replicators. And I think we still need to really, really focus on how we do that. Okay. Um, so that's a provocation, I guess, and I don't tend to throw stones at stuff that, I, um, that I'm not uh, happy to contribute to. So, you know, as you know, for, for years I've had a non-profit organisation um, that I've led with some of the, the sort of leading entrepreneurs in New Zealand. In fact, we're calling ourselves founders now for a bunch of reasons, but um, called Kiwi Landing Pad. And we've just rebranded that so um, to Territory <laughs> 3 because I think we really are in a new territory. Um, the first one was kind of how to get pe my first business sold in the US and you know, mm -hmm. that journey was a really lonely one so we just wanted to mm -hmm. help people land over there and primarily in San Francisco and, and kind of pay that back, pay that forward. But, um, <coughs> and that was sort of the first territory and the second one was you know, through Sean Simpson who, who worked with me for a mm -hmm. number of years and sort of cottoned on to the fact that we had an office but actually that was nothing. What was really interesting was listening to the various conversations coming from these different companies and these different founders trying to figure it out, trying to get momentum and get customers and get partners. And so she started <laughs> just naturally curating that together as a very curious person. Mm. And suddenly we had this concept of community, um, which I'd never, it's never, really, never really occurred to me how strong that could be. And so that was kind of our second territory. And now we've got this third territory where you know, this whole digital transformation or digital or whatever, you know, it's just digital. We're, we're, just, we're just digital. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're an impact founder and you want to clean up the coastline or go diving, you're going to use the same sort of technologies and CRM and, you know, mm -hmm. social media and so forth to generate that. So why don't we just embrace that? You know, we're a non-profit. We're supported by the New Zealand government, the Bank of New Zealand, um, Amazon and um, uh, Sir Stephen Tyndall. Sam Morgan, um, the Holdsworth family owned Articom, you know, a bunch of people who have a very distinct passion and interest for, for growth in, in the country. So why don't we just embrace actually, you know, the founders of anything, uh, back to D, you know, in Johnsonville, yeah. free for all and just, right. and just try and, you know, give this content and material and the stuff that helps them, you know, either inspire them or educate them or, or just accelerate them um, and put that through. So long answer to your question, but I just don't think we're doing enough of that. Um, so the elements, if we could break them down, one would be productivity. Yeah. Where are the others that we need to maybe amplify or augment or do some Yeah, well, I think it's that building. learning in that community um, and, and just actually being sort of sharper and harder about it, really. Um, this game of building things from nothing is not for everybody, yeah. uh, but there's definitely a place to be part of it rather than having to lead it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, again, sort of comes back to yeah, New Zealand is the easiest place, apparently, in the OECD to set up a business. Mm -hmm. uh, but my counterfactual to that, not that I'm always looking for a negative side of it, is <laughs> that it's, it's one where a business of very average or you know, nonsensical value elements can exist for many, many years, yeah. mm. whether it be through government grants or just you know, um, uh, uh, cost side of things. And, and, and that really only ends up affecting one 
element and that's the founders and the people involved themselves because of natural selection and natural realisation. So I think if we, if we work to actually shorten that because we've kind of brought out a lot of support and a lot of really great and well-meaning sort of um, support mechanisms but the reality is you know all the data shows us that there's still only really a tip of the spear that that shoots through and we you know we can just sort of you know more of these things I think need to be sort of falling off restarting and trying to drive towards that, that tip yeah. rather there's than... There's a lot of duplication too. A lot right? of duplication. Oh, the duplication just fascinates it's me. You know, you'll, you'll see, um, you know, there's a, there's a chocolate startup. I don't know what it is about New Zealand. And then suddenly, you know, within two weeks, you'll have four calls from mm. four new chocolate startups. It's like, you know, there's so many yeah. problems to solve in the world. Mm. That's right. Uh, why do they sort of all suddenly sort of cluster yeah. around these things? Uh, it's really interesting. It happens in the not-for-profit sector mm. a lot. You know, there's a lot of duplication. And you're right, and then everyone's scrabbling for the grants, you know, so it makes it really interesting because we know through, like, Philanthropy New Zealand that most of our, um, our money goes towards health and faith. Yeah. So for everybody else, you just try to scrabble around in the mm. same little pot of money. So the duplication can be quite problematic at times. Well, I think you're being nice. <laughs> I mean, let me share at a high level what my research found. Um, <laughs> Without, you know, we talked to a lot of funds um, because I wanted this. So I had, I had three buckets, basically. There's companies and there's, there's, there's consumers and then there's causes. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the virtuous. Yep. Um, and we found some of the, the challenges around funds. We found funds that um, didn't allocate all of their fund, philanthropic fund, that didn't actually find a way to spend it. Um, and uh, simply because either their process um, needed yep. to reach a high standard um, in terms of you know the mandate of how they mm. could, yeah. what sort of things they could invest in, so they weren't, um, you know, they weren't incompetent reasons. They were just reasons sure, yeah. of inefficiency yeah. in the yeah, system. Right. And to your point, yeah. you know, that costs a lot of organisations doing great and impactful work um, mm. their livelihood. That's often. right. That's right. Um, and then the corporate philanthropy here is pathetic. Yeah. I mean, it's less than you know, it's a yeah. it's a tiny percentage. It's way way less in the US, mm -hmm. and um, oh, and even yeah. worse, it's not sustainable. It's not. It's not. Let's do two or three things, yeah. um, and sponsor them for five years. That's it's right. let's find two or three shiny things every yeah. year, and you just you know you go through a, a corporate process as as the cause to apply for this. I'm probably telling you things that you've <laughs> seen. And, I'm just smiling to myself. Yeah, you're talking. Uh, well, it's good validation actually. <laughs> Um, but you go through this process, that takes half the year, and then they're immediately looking for some sort of metrics or dashboard, and you've spent all of your oh, yeah. precious resources filling in all the forms and getting the... And then the cheque arrives, and then they're like, yeah, sorry, that was just for a year, and mm -hmm. we're off to the next thing. And, and you know, a lot of the funders are actually starting to change that, their funding because mm. of that, like Wellington Community Trust is now looking, for example, at three-year funding, nice. you know, for projects and things like that, or short grants that are going to give you something you could do like a... Um, a, a capacity building activity, so it's a, a small short grant, yeah. but then they're looking at how do you sustain something going on rather than annual funding, which is really difficult mm. for any like any not-for-profit or charitable trust. You know, you just can't you can't manage it that way. Yeah. What's the point of starting it yeah. if if the funding's not there, mm. and if it's if it is community related? there may not be any profit in it, so you, you do need funding from other sources. Mm. So it gets quite complicated in that space. But you're right about corporates. Uh, you know, we're, they're just, it's too difficult at times, mm -hmm. you know. But we have some fantastic um, corporates. The Holdsworths, as you mentioned, I mean, they're fantastic to us. And, you know, so there are people out there who get it. Mm. We need more of them, yeah.
Which is fascinating because you're obviously funded as well, both, I suppose, privately because of the people who come, uh, mm -hmm. but also very publicly as well mm -hmm. by the council and stuff like that. Mm. Could you talk about like what's your kind of mm. ecosystem from a perspective of who supports you to endeavour yeah. what you do? Yeah, that's a really interesting one because our model is quite interesting in mm. itself. Um, we are a charitable trust, but we're a council controlled organisation. So the council owns the zoo because we're located on town belt land, that has to be. Gotcha. Um, so the council does give us an operating grant. Um, and they also give us investment to capital as well. But we raise 25% of any capital investment that we put into the zoo. Um, and then with the operating grant, when I arrived many years ago, we were like contributing about 37% of our operating costs and council was contributing the rest. And we decided that, you know, number one, we wanted to control our own destiny, mm. but two, we wanted to reduce the impact on ratepayers. So we, have now flipped that on its head pretty much. So it's about, you know, 60% from us and 40% from council. Be nice to get it to 80-20, but I'm not sure that's ever going to really happen. Okay. And, and the model around the world looks to be about 60-40 mm. from funders and then driven by the other, by the organisation. So we've changed the business model quite a bit. So we don't just rely on visitation, yeah. but there's a whole lot of commercial um, arms that go into that, like venue hire, you know, those sorts of things where you can get, you know, straight to the bottom line commercial results. So, you know, we're not a, we're not a for-profit business. We mm. do invest back into the zoo, but it's about making sure that we actually t apply a business principle yeah. to what we're doing, you know, because we do want to be able to not, you know, to reduce that impact on the people of Wellington, because that, that's the city council that supports us, even though people come from the region. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that's been a really good change for us, not to think that we could always have a handout, yeah. that we could actually drive our own destiny Sorry. as a cause-related business. That's mm. how I, mm. I think of us. Yeah. You know, the cause is important and we need the dollars to actually do the cause. Because mm. how do you actually support conservation partners if you can't manage yourself? Mm. So if we really want to do that work around the world and within New Zealand, the dollars have to drive that. And the literacy around, you know, the idea that zoos are all about, sorry, zoos are more about conservation nowadays than just pretty animals which you can't see in the wild mm. type thing. That has happened over probably the last few decades that you've mm. been in this industry. Mm. Could you speak to like kind of how people have seen that or how people have transitioned with you mm. in that knowledge and what have you done to help people understand why zoos matter? I will talk about progressive zoos right, okay. because there's about 10,000 things that call themselves a zoo right. in the world okay. and not all of them are good. Okay. So I'll preface anything I say with that. Mm -hmm. um, so if I talk about progressive zoos and I talk about the ones that are like in our association in our region, mm -hmm. so that's the Zoo and Aquarium Association Australasia, there's a hundred in that. Okay. Um, but there's others that are not members of that association right. You know who you know, would never meet the grade to actually, mm. they wouldn't meet the animal welfare accreditation grade. You know, they're not doing the conservation work that, you know, is expected. Um, and then globally, on for the World Association, um, we actually have about 400 members. And in that other regional associations, like the American Zoo Association, ours, you know, so all their members are part of it. But then there are individual zoos that are also members. 
So we regard ourselves as the progressive part of the, pro of the profession. Like that. You're the rebels. And we don't call it an industry because we don't make widgets. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry for my language so, then. <laughs> so we call it a profession. Profession. Um, okay. And it's, it's been quite interesting. So I've been in zoos since the early 90s and just the level of professionalism has improved enormously. Mm. Like, you know, most of my staff are university educated. They are critical thinkers. They... Um, they're world leading in some of the work they do. So that's really changed for me, like from when I first went into it. Mm -hmm. So I was a teacher by trade and went into zoos through education. And so it's been really interesting just to see how important education or you know, in, even informal learning has become mm -hmm. in terms of engaging community with conservation stories, with sustainability stories, actually being part of community you know, it wasn't like that once. It was like this, you're right, was this place you went to to look at animals, right? Yeah. Whereas now it's much more about community and much more about the animals being the, the, the right animals to have in that organisation. So, for example, mm. we'll never have an elephant again. Mm. You know, we can't, in Wellington Zoo, we can't do elephants well. Yeah. So we would not have an elephant. So it's thinking about what species you're actually caring for okay. um, in human care and what ones are the most appropriate. So there's a lot of science that goes into mm. thinking about those things. So all of that's changed over the last, say, 30 years. Wow. And it's, um, it's getting more and more complex. So we do a lot of work with um, animal welfare. So Massey University developed the five domains of animal welfare. And so we use that model, that framework, to actually assess the welfare of our animals and that is what you are accredited against to be a member of our association. What are the five domains? The five domains. Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, there's four fine. physical domains. Right. And then there's the affective state or the mental domain. Okay. So there's always a debate because animal care is what we do to the animal. So we give it food, we give it shelter, we yeah. give it conspecifics, we give it, you know, the ability to breed. We do all that sort of stuff. We give it a nice environment. But what welfare is what the animal perceives of its life yeah. so okay. is it having a quality of life that it would like and so we have ways now that we can measure that through the five domains model so we can assess if the animal is for want of a better word happy mm. so is it having a quality of life yeah. and so that is also our global structure as well for animal welfare okay. so we use something that came out of Massey University talking about Kiwi ingenuity. Um, yeah. So that's a global standard for all of our members in the World Association. Right. So animal welfare is really the thing we have to focus on, even before we focus on conservation, mm. because those animals are in our care. Mm. We're responsible for their life. And okay. when I look at zoos that are not meeting that grade, I, I don't like it mm. at all. So, you know, we think about that all the time in terms of do the animals have a quality of life or a good life mm. and how we measure that? I have to ask, like, uh, I've been to the zoo several times uh, because I have a, a niece and a nephew here um, and we take them and they go crazy. Um, Come and on, DK, I, you would have been even if you didn't have your niece. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we use them as an excuse, me and my bro, to go to the zoo. You don't need them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's so much fun. But I have to ask, do you have a favourite oh. animal? vertebrate, whatever, insects, because I know you do that up there as well. Yeah. 
we have our um, reptile invertebrate keepers will probably not be happy with me if I don't say the Goliath bird-eating spider. <laughs> but, you know, it's a pretty cool animal. Um, but I don't know. I, all animals are unique, right? Mm -hmm. And I always find when I look at animals, they're all perfect. That you mm. don't need to improve them in any way. Lovely. So you look at a Kia, it's perfect. Mm. You look at a tiger, it's perfect. Yeah. You don't need to mess with it at all. It's a perfect specimen, right? But for the zoo, I mean, I have a, a few that I relate to. Uh -huh. I really love uh, Jessie, our matriarch chimp. I think she's great. Right. She loves shoes. Loves shoes. In, I'm just <laughs> now got a picture of a, a chimp like going crazy for shoes and going. Yeah, when you show Jessie your shoes, she's like, Ooh. oh, okay. Um, so she really likes that, and I really <laughs> love. <laughs> she's great, and, and then I really love Sasa, our sun bear, because she was born mm. the week I started at Wellington Zoo. Right. So she's special, and I really love um, Sunny Giraffe. He's a great animal. So there's a few that I, you know, mm. really special animals for me but then all of us would have animals yeah, that we love and, you know and they're all important they all you know, they all do something for the ecosystem yeah. so yeah sorry to put you on the spot no that's fine I just find that have, you've obviously been have you oh many times here on Red because yeah yeah with yeah what do they go crazy for when they're there well I you know I think um it's interesting around the metrics right because and the industry that you're in because mm. I think experiences yeah. It's going to be a huge, huge category. And so to your question, um, my oldest son is 21 now, but um, he had, um, he had the, still have the wild dogs there, the, the, the pack. Yeah, we don't have wild dogs anymore. Yeah. They're another one that we can't do very well in an urban And he zoo. had this T-shirt of all the things that he saw. He just latched like, in on them. They're fantastic animals. Um, so oh. great. And oh. that was, uh, he was about maybe eight or nine when he first sort of latched onto them and he never yeah. really let let go. So that was sort of uh, uh, and yeah. uh, very, very cool. And the, and the chimpanzees and um, yeah. uh, and our whole family is fascinated by sloths. Sloths but are great. But <laughs> see, again, we wouldn't be able to do sloths well. Well, which is odd because they don't do much. I was going to say, so. you know, you've got to have a nocturnal environment for them. You know, oh, they they're much more active at night. Yeah. Yeah. So would you do the reverse things like you do yeah, with the kiwis, like the kiwi, where you yeah. would try to yeah. reverse their cycle? Yeah. I mean, there are sloths that are managed during the day as well, right. but we, um, across our region, we've certainly rationalised our species plan, so not there's not really sloths in our region at all. They're fascinating. I don't know, have you ever seen the movie Zootopia? No. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Seriously, you haven't? I it would have been compulsory, sort of... Uh... And, no. and right, that's a day out for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come to that. I can't watch it enough. But the animals, uh, they're all, you know, they, they, with a city of animals, and right. the and the sloths run the DMV, which is the Department of Motor Vehicle Registration. So it's, it's sort of like going to VTNZ, and it's and you know the, quite slow. Oh, the lines are just enormous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never yeah. lost the appreciation. Yeah, it's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, the the little monkeys, the oh, which. Yeah. Um, the, the kids find monkeys. fascinating, yeah, the squirrel monkeys, yeah. uh, because you can get really up close and yeah. they're so playful. You yeah, can see are. them constantly mm. wrestling each other yeah. and then there's the little babies hanging on for I their know. dear lives and that. For some reason, the, like I say, the little ones just like are fascinated with it and just constantly laugh at them because there's some connection yeah, going on, right, where we can identify our playful spirit in mm. these animals. 
Uh, so there's something to be said about you know the chimps and the monkeys. Oh yeah, it's quite powerful actually that mm. memory making that you were talking about with mm. your son because mm. it, you know, I do a lot of talking and people say to me when are you getting an elephant because they're my age or older, you know, because right, that's so a want... huge memory right for mm. them mm. And, and they remember the elephants and so I explain that we're creating other memories, you know, we're different animals. Yeah. You know, now we wouldn't have an elephant. Do you have, like you just mentioned, like a species path or something? A species? Yeah, we do. We have a species plan in so, terms of which animals we will have in the zoo for the next 5, 10, 20 years. Okay. Yeah, you've got to look that far out. Of course, because that's yeah. their life cycle, a yeah. lot of them. So yeah. is there anything that uh, is on the horizon that you can share that, you know, I'm not telling tales yeah, after yeah, school, yeah. but is there's like, yeah, these are the things we're looking at? Well, we're very good at carnivores. We're very good at primates. Oh. Um, so next week, actually, we're opening a new habitat for ring-tailed lemurs. All right. So we actually do a lot of um, support, a lot of conservation work in Madagascar. Mm. So um, another one of my favourite movies. There you go. I, I have seen Madagascar. <laughs> we're getting a level for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Animal cartoon movies giving me a whole weekend list of things. To do. Yeah, that's right. So we have rough lemurs, uh, black and white rough lemurs, and now we're getting ring-tailed lemurs. So that's opening next Friday. And how does the conservation work then? So when you say mm. we do conservation work with Madagascar and we're getting yeah. these animals, how, what do you then study? Like, yeah, how so does it we, um, yeah. with our conservation strategy, we um, are looking at ways to make whatever investment we make really powerful. So we want to do um, narrow and deep rather than broad and shallow. Right. Um, so we're just reviewing all our conservation partners at the moment to see well, how can we go deep. Mm. and you know really make it an impact in those areas so for example we were a founding partner with fauna and flora international in pumat national park in vietnam for gibbons oh i forgot my gibbons how could i forget them as being one of my favorites love them um so gibbons are more critically endangered than chimpanzees mm. people okay. don't know that no so we were a founding partner in pumat national park so what we do with our partners is we give investment to them, but we also send our staff there to build capability or to do conservation work when they're there. Obviously can't do it at the moment with COVID, mm -hmm. but we've sent staff all around the world, you know, to go and work with our conservation partners. You know, if they, they say we need so, uh, this sort of skill set, we'll send somebody to help them with that. You know, we had some staff working with Traffic Southeast Asia, so that's an organisation that um, tries to reduce wildlife trade. Um, because it's it's just booming. There's a whole re range of reasons why wildlife trade's booming, but traffic actually monitors wildlife trade, so they okay. needed people who could actually work and look at computers and look at footage and, s and try and find where where the biggest action was happening for wildlife trade. So it depends what they need, and we'll send staff to them for that. And I suppose what they come back with as well is a lot of yeah. learning that they can they then diffuse into the organisation. Absolutely, there. yeah, absolutely. You'd mentioned COVID there. Yeah. How has COVID affected you directly as a zoo in the last yeah. year or so? We have been so fortunate compared mm. to the rest of the world mm. um, in terms of other zoos that I know. Um, we have had, I mean, government support has been amazing, like the wage subsidy. We got a grant. Um, we got grants through the, the Strategic Tourism Assets Program. We got money for um, the wildlife um Institute's Relief Fund. So mm -hmm. we have been so fortunate through central government. Wellington City Council's always been there to support us as well. Um, and, you know, people have 
been so incredibly loyal yeah. coming to the zoo. So when after lockdown and we opened for for free for six weeks, we had 50,000 people come in mm. six weeks wow. and they've still kept coming. So I'm just so proud of our community that they've just gone, yep, yeah, we will keep going to the zoo. Mm. So, But you would have had to shut, but you wouldn't have had to stop. Correct. So that we, was... No, and that was really interesting. So half our staff work from home, but obviously zookeepers had to be there. Yeah. The vets had to be there. So, and the property guys had to be there if they needed mm. to fix things. So, because animals are hard on things. Mm. <laughs> so a lot of our staff had to work through it. Yeah. But we were regarded as essential workers. Mm. So, um, but it made it interesting for the team because for a long time they didn't see each other mm. and we had to split teams and all the rest of it in terms yeah. of, you know, making sure people weren't coming together and whatever. Um, so there was a lot of logistical changes we had to make. But in terms of the zoo itself, I think the animals missed people. Mm. That's what we found, that they were like, where are our adoring fans? Where are they? So I think they were very pleased when everyone came back. Fascinating, right? They, they wanted that interaction. Yeah, well, it's part of their life, right? So mm. they're used to it. You know, who's going to show Jessie her shoes? <laughs> she gets, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't know. Again, did you have a plan in place already for some kind of pandemic? We have. In your risk. Disease plan. is one of our risk right. things that we look at. Mm. Um, so, in terms of our risk matrix, disease is up there. Probably not thinking so much about COVID, mm, course, yeah. um, but there's other diseases you've obviously mm. got to consider. Um, but of, it was really good actually, like when we had a clear way forward from the government, we were able right. to, you know, the alert levels were brilliant because yeah. we could go alert level, this is what we're going to do, alert level, this is what we're going to do. And we could roll that out on a one pager for everybody. Mm. So it was very clear for everybody what we were doing as we moved up and down the alert levels. Mm. and. While it was difficult um, and disruptive, it was really very clear, a very clear framework for people to work in. So, you know, I thought as, well, for, for me, like I talked to a lot of zoos around the world, I think we did very well considering, yeah. you know, very well. Um, you know, and I could you speak to that in terms of the professional around the world with uh, your involvement with, yeah. and I want to say it out loud, which, which one's Waza. 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 <laughs> That's the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums. <laughs> but <Yeah>. Waza. <laughs> it's just right, something. Eh? Um, how is everybody else doing? Because oh, I'm sure you have. Hard. Yeah. It's mm. really hard. I mean, some people have been closed for like upwards nine, ten months. Whoa. You know, and that's really tough. So a lot of our conservation partners have felt the impact of that because if they don't have any, that's what I was saying before, if you don't have the dollars, you can't support the conservation work, right? Mm. So a lot of the conservation partners we support are just like, oh, thank you for keeping giving us money because a lot of zoos have had to pull the money because mm. they have, you know, and people have lost their jobs. And, of course. You know, and obviously the priority is the animals, you know, making sure that they're fed and cared for. So other things have gone by the wayside. Mm. So it's going to take a long time for a lot of, zoos to really get back to where they were, I think. So we are incredibly grateful in New Zealand mm. and Australia um, in terms of the support we've had. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking about when you were talking about Kiwi Landing Pad earlier on. And I thought you guys have rebranded to Territory 3 because you used to 
try to get people from New Zealand to go to America. And yeah. now with COVID, not probably not. Going on. <laughs> yeah, no, not all <laughs> So I thought, oh, they've strategically changed territory three. Was that one of the reasons? That works for your memorability. You stuck with. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so maybe it did have an impact, or did oh, it? Oh no, not? it definitely did. But I mean, that that was that was happening anyway. Yeah. You know, with globality just really sort of accelerating and obviously COVID just really nailed that for a lot of people who were sort of on the fringes of is this going to work you know can Mm -hmm. we actually be more sort of expansive around talents around you know looking at other countries and so forth Um, so there was you know there's a lot of good for all the wrong you know drivers for that I think but um, yeah we just um, also had people I think quite smartly realizing that um, the landing was traditionally associated with San Francisco yeah which is the most intense place for technology and innovation in the world. So mm. if you're after customers as a New Zealand company and you kind of got your tech and innovation mm. okay, why would you go to the biggest mm. place for the, you know? So the compa- in, competition, America's right? a big place, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so we're trying to really encourage that thinking and, you know, just beyond the States, you know, even, mm. even the number of companies that really don't understand Australia that well mm. as an expansive um, export market, you know, think about the, the number of even big companies that have, yeah. you know, announced big moves over there and then come back mm. sort of several years later and several million dollars later, you know, mm. without, without the sort of success. What about the Asian market in terms of, mm. uh, there's a language straight away barrier for mm. most people mm. entering that. But I always thought that, that that was something that if you could get the right people in place, that would be another obvious stepping stone. Well, I think it is, but it's, um, it's again, it's like, what problem are you solving for them? I mean, th- you know, their um, tech infrastructure now, right across Asia, is pretty phenomenal. Mm. Um, certainly is. And we look at, you know, our social media and our, you know, payment platforms and things, but you look at the integration in terms of a customer experience in Asia, and, you yeah. know, a couple of those big platforms, one, they've nailed it with some regulation and some mm. sort of help um, yeah. and scale, but, you know, it's, a, it's an integrated experience. Mm. So, yeah. You're not going to put it down for some new company. You know, you can you can pay on it. You can chat on your. You know, it's just right. it's very deep. And, and even uh, the payment gateways with the mobile phones that mm-hmm. still has yet to catch up here. We're starting to oh, see a little bit, but if you go over there, everything is done through yeah. the mobile. In Hong platform. Kong, you can get a, a black card, which will let you basically pay for anything, FBOS, whatever you like. But mm-hmm. also, it'll let you do it in crypto. It'll let you do it in. Yeah. You know, they've created these rails from a regulatory and a, and a banking point of view where they just don't care if it's a recognised asset class, you can you can trade it backwards and forwards. We're quite That's a way it. away from that. Mm. What is the, the thing that is coming around the corner for you that you think is a really rich space for entre- entrepreneurs to start playing in, you know? that the test waters or iterate when it comes to products and services? Uh, well, I mean, you know, this whole chain of, of airspace, right. um, this utility of, you know, delivery, you know, consumer demand is... The is just, Amazon drone stuff you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many little offsets of that to actually make it all work. Um, and then I think um, this impact, you know, in terms of measurement, this is just an entirely new sector that's going to be created around connecting that need to, you know, have proof points in your metrics mm. um, to a whole lot of people you never worried about before. And of course, this happened to agriculture quite a way back as well, right? I mean, yeah. um, it's interesting listening to you talk about the the zoo and the and the and the sort of the the measurements and the metrics off that, because of course, a lot of businesses really, um, in terms of sustainability, 
have been getting away with cost structures that are completely artificial. You know, mm. The damage they've been doing, the cost, and now that's quantified. You know, farmers, mm. obviously, if you're a current generation farmer, you know, you've, you've been landed with a cost structure that yeah. you, never, you never conceived, you know, two generations or you know, mm. even one generation ago. Mm. So I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities to look at those stacks and just go, what's missing? And that's not just here, but, you know, that's for big companies. Uh, who just have a lot of things on their plate where I think New Zealand could be, you know, a lot of New Zealand founders could be looking at just, a, I think, a quite an acceptable sort of how do we fix that relatively small problem for that company in a way that's faster and, you know, better for them to outsource it than, than focus a whole lot of people internally and, you know, exit and do that mm. three or four times rather than sort of, you know, go down the traditional 10-year, you know, um, start something, build it up, sell it. Mm. What about the idea of uh, start? Um, sorry, founders starting to sell. Like a lot of there, there seems to be a divide in the old entrepreneurial space um, around people definitely going down the Silicon Valley mm. unicorn route. They want to scale, scale fast to sell. They have intention and mm. intentionality around all that. Not a bad thing. Not adding any judgment in that. But then there's other people going. Actually, I don't want to be a unicorn. I want to be a zebra. If you've heard about the unicorns versus zebras, because zebras are real and everything is mm. black and white, whereas unicorns are made up, right, and magical. <laughs> so I like this idea, right? Not in Scotland, so you they build. Know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to break. Yeah, sorry, man. I'm letting you do that. But there does seem a growing disconnect between actually, I want to build a business that sustains and has impact versus scale and sale. Um, so are you seeing that tension out there? Because I'm certainly chatting to some people and, and that's evidence. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I always tell people that what you want to do is you want to build a great business. Mm. And they go, usually, what's a great business? And I said, well, a great business is one that has options. Yeah. You know, So if you build something that actually generates more um, revenue than it, than, it, than it costs to do so, right. then that should be the number number one goal right. and that attracts a lot of attention and, and, and a lot of other things and you know then you have the active choice of saying well you know what you know this is just something that I want mm. to but I think that's also the, the kind of catch-22 of the productivity piece yeah. you know we've all heard it the beach batch and BMW mm. is kind of the bar that a lot of um, our country sets in terms of achieving that and, and gotcha. the, it would be less of an issue if it was fully what I call fully stacked Mm. Um, so, you know, they make some money, you know, what would at face value be, you know, mm. a reasonable amount of money, but then you look at life yeah. uh, and tax and children and, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> inflation. Yeah. And, you know, they just don't mm. think about it. Mm. It just fascinates me how little thinking often goes into that in terms of, and then, of course, the big pop is that um, if they do have, you know, reserves that they think are, you know, clear profit, they go and buy some houses. Yeah. Um, which is another story altogether. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm fascinated by that because it's an undercurrent that I've noticed in the last few years here, which two things I love New Zealand for uh, is also, I think, two things which hold it a little bit back. Mm. One is the tall poppy syndrome, which we're very aware <laughs> of, and that's a little bit uh, restrictive because then we don't celebrate people as we should for their achievements. I'm not saying they should be arrogant, but it's definitely we mm. should point to people and say, that's, that's great, like, mm. let's celebrate that. And be okay to stand in your story if you've done some great stuff as well. So there's mm. that. The other side which speaks to what you were just discussing, which is the number eight wire mentality, which is, yeah, we get things done. We, we kind of just 
pull things together, we get it done. But then we never get it done to excellence. Mm. We just get it done and stop and never go, well, I've got it there, but now there's lots of other layers that I can get to to really now drive um, excellence through, through quality or discernment or whatever. Sophistication. That's a lovely word, yeah, mm. definitely. And I've only seen a few brands really try to do that in mm. New Zealand, is go through it and then go, no, there's more to, more to mm. come. Now, Zero is a perfect example from a technology perspective where they got it done, but then they go, no, no, we've got to get it really, really simple. We've got to really nail it. We've got to now nail it for other people and we've got to keep nailing it. Um, mm. And as an example of someone that you mentioned earlier who had got a good story behind it, done well. Um, is that something that you've seen or is that just me kind of coming in as my... Like, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd summarise it as aspiration. Mm. Right. Um, you know, when Rod started Zero, I mean, he, I think he raised $15 million before he'd kind of fully figured out generating the revenue, right? I mean, his aspiration wow. was that that mm. was going to be a relatively small sum mm. in, in terms of the end game, and, mm. and off they went. You know, Peter Beck and um, you know, Rocket Lab, he, he's... Very interesting to talk to about, you know, aspiration because um, as there's a much more sort of pragmatic engineering view. It's like why would you go through all these challenges uh, for a ten million dollar exit when they're pretty much exactly the same levels of risk, just mm. different zeros on the end of the numbers mm. for a billion dollar exit. So, um, mm. and I think to the tall poppy thing that feels like a little bit too much, you know, for a, for a lot of us. That feels like I wouldn't be able to go to the the pub and you know sit comfortably with you know but mm -hmm. I don't know you, I don't know about you but when I go to the pub we don't talk about money or anything like <laughs> yeah, that at all right. you just talk mm. about sport and yeah. you know good yeah. times and spend time with friends so yeah. I just think we've mixed up those sort of sort of aspirational elements. I think yeah. aspiration's a really good word actually because I you know I think about even like my organisation yeah. Like here we are in New Zealand but I want us to be world leading mm -hmm. like what's the aspiration behind us what can we do that is going to be, it's actually going to be world leading, that we'll have a reputation for being, you know, a great place. You know, oh gosh, look what they're doing at Wellington Zoo. That's what I want, you know, because I, I want them to say that's a, a great organisation. It's doing all the things that it should be doing. Yeah, it's nice, right? And, and you know, it's that whole destiny thing. I'm really big on that, controlling your destiny as much as possible. Mm. And that's, that's being aspirational for what you want for either your own business or investments or things like that. I think it's a really good word. Yeah, I think you're never done. I mean, I had a boss. No, you're never done. Yeah, when I used to have bosses, and she said to me once, and she said to the whole company, you know, it's a journey, not a destination. Totally, mm -hmm. never there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's always stuck to me, is that's yeah. kind of, if you unpack these stories and unpick them, it's that sort of unrelenting mm. yeah, it is. push forward to a place yeah. that you Drive. almost know you're never going to get to. Yeah. How crucial then is culture when it comes to that oh, uh, gee, from the perspective of when you're building these companies or building the organisation? It's actually everything. Yeah. Right. How do you then create it or massage it or craft it? or yeah. What's yeah. the trick? If you say it's everything... Well, it's, it's so the same thing. You just never give up. You've got right. to always be working on it. You can't think, oh, I've got the culture right because then people change oh, and then course, you've got new form. people coming in. So how do they actually understand the culture how do they understand what you're trying to achieve mm. does it resonate for them you know so you've got to be working on that as much as you are i mean that is your business right mm. yeah. it's people you mm. know people are they're the ones that are doing the work they're the ones that are delivering the outcomes so 
I think it's everything. Yeah. Never ending. Like mm. the business is never ending. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I have more words in my vocabulary than those that begin with A, but I would, I would just put it down to authenticity, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because nothing ever stays effective if you're just trying to be something yeah. that you're no. that you're not, and that wears off culturally really fast. Does. You know, yeah, it does. and it's the classic sort of corporate get together and yeah, the slide right. deck that says you know we're in and kumbaya and all those things there's <laughs> yeah. our five values and then you culturally yeah. you get people going away going oh god you know at least that's what over does that for even this. mean yeah. you know mm. what does it mean what yeah. are we what are we trying to achieve mm -hmm. yeah so how like i know uh john that you've built businesses over the past and still have businesses going like the hiring process i'm fascinated by because you you say that people have moved on and stuff mm. How do you hire for culture, do you? Well, I think again, it comes back to authenticity. And so the people you want to hire are going to want to see you as the leader or the CEO in that process. And mm. if they don't, then they're probably not the right people, especially when it's an early company. So I always mm. used to have a conversation with everybody we hired in the, in the startups. And I'd say, and that's would say, well, you know, I'm a junior dev or something. What do you, and I was like, well, I have this rule in the company. It's like, I'll be the, uh, uh, the last person you see in mm. the hiring process and the first one if it doesn't work out <laughs> um, because people who don't you know yeah, and it's not right. a it's not trying to be um, scary or anything about yeah. it it's just yeah. emphasizing how that's important right. their decision to join us yeah. and us totally. to have them join us is mm. and how quickly we will fix that if it just for whatever reason doesn't yeah, look totally. like it's working out totally. same for you well you I look at three things okay lovely head heart hunger oh that's good those are nice, aren't they? So, uh, someone with Glad we're smarts. recording this. I can steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Head, heart and hunger. That's yeah, a beautiful. Someone with the smarts. Someone who really is passionate about what we do and really wants it. Really wants it and really wants to make a difference and contribute. Fascinating. So head, heart, hunger is what I look for. You know, it's Great. what's in the eyes, right? Mm. Eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm. Yeah. You know, if the eyes are flashing and, and hungry, mm. then that's the person, right? I've got to say, I see that when, you know, when I mentioned having a niece and nephew who were down and going to the shows, right? Not shows, yeah. sorry, the presentations. presentations thank you. <laughs> Terrible. Animal uh, talks. Animal talks, thank you. Um, Language is powerful, dude. It is very, yeah. you know, with the sun bear or whatever yeah. it is, uh, or the tiger or or, yeah. or the definitely the penguins. Yeah, yeah. Feeding time with the penguins, yeah. just go crazy yeah. for that, the kids, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just so cute, especially with one penguin, got I one know. wing, kind of goes around the circles a lot, bless him. Um, but you can see it, that the people who are there not only love this, mm. they love communicating yeah, they what do. they do. And that doesn't they come, do. you know, that's a trick as well. That's a learned skill. It's good or training. A, yeah, that's, that's not, training. as a speaker coach, I know kind of how hard that is to step, step up in front of people you don't know and try to orate or excite them with something that's very good, unique to you. They? They're great. They're good. Yeah, very good. good. That's the cool thing about animals, though, isn't it? It I is. Mean, <laughs> it is. We're lucky, right? We have oh. good content, I always say. Great content. <laughs> I, um, I got involved in a, a feature film uh, last year, because um, I'm, I'm an executive producer now. I don't think that's on my list. Dude, yet. that's another oh, one gosh, I didn't write that. And, um, and what fascinated me is some great guys, uh, Ryan and Hunter, US-based, um, and uh, we took them through New Zealand, tried to show them some of the New Zealand ecosystem, and then they went yep. to Portugal and Mexico City and a bunch of other places called Outside the Valley. Um, and it premiered here in New Zealand, actually. We basically cut everyone out because there was nowhere else you could sort of, at the uh, Roxy and Miramar. Lovely. Um, yeah, it was intentional, of course. Not 
Um, but they became fascinated with the uh, the little penguins in Dunedin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you look at the movie, and even at the end, <laughs> there's a signature penguin on the uh, on the credits on the right hand side. Beautiful. And I thought for two, you know, uh, very accomplished sort of humans, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, they were just absolutely fixated yeah. on this one yeah. one animal. Um, that's that's penguins for you. Yeah. Yeah, they're very popular animals. Mm. Penguins. I think it's because they walk upright, like humans. You know, with their little feet. Well, they're such an anomaly, aren't they? Because yeah, they, they do that and they swim rather than yeah, fly. Know, so you got do. it's like a bird that doesn't do yeah, everything yeah. that a bird does. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think Madagascar did them a lot of favours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got them up there. <laughs> I love it when they go back to Antarctica. Finally, they, they hijack that ship and mm -hmm. yeah. they're sitting there in the wind and the sleet, and they go, "Well, this sucks." <laughs> and go back to New York. <laughs> it's a great film. For one film, if if you haven't seen it, you might have because you got kids. But it might they might have missed a generation. It's a film called Animal Olympics. Oh, I have heard of it. It's an old it. film, but voiced by people like Billy Crystal and things oh, like wow. that. But it's a cartoon, right? Okay. Of animals in the Olympics. Oh my goodness. Called Animal Olympics. And it's so good. It's my one of my favourite films on the planet. So you get the, the my mind has got lots of right. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to send you a copy, and, and <laughs> you can delight in Animal Olympics. And then we're all going to get together and watch Utopia. Okay. Um, I'd love to ask you about your future plans as well to kind of bring this discussion towards the end, but not the end mm -hmm. yet. Kind of, you're both on very different trajectories, but equally. The overlaps are there. Like, what is your next six months to six years looking like? Oh gosh, I know. Good to think that long, right? Yeah, well, six months is easier. Mm. Um, so I learned to fly when I was seventeen, okay. um, but I still don't have a license. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> I'm finding it one of the the most challenging things to complete in my entire life. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, there's an exam component. The flying bit I get, that's, that's, that I'm told that's, that's all fine, but you know, fortunately for most of us who you know, put our hands in, in there's, a, there's a regime underneath that which yeah, sort of, yeah. is a little bit more rigid around exams yeah, and things. That's, yeah. so that's, that's brought me from somewhere a long time ago to, so my goal is to get that nailed um, yeah. you know, only after several decades to, uh, to, to finish that. And then we launch All Things Considered, um, our beta version, which we'd love people to to jump on will be out probably uh, last week of June. Okay. So that's a pretty yep. definitive thing for me, having sort of moved through the journey and pivoted mm. and, and sort of been focused on the sustainability area yeah. and how to build a business with profit and purpose, but yeah. sort of only figuring it out and doing it when it felt right. So it took about three years. Mm. Um, mm. So those will be the those will be the two two biggies for me in this. Can you look months. beyond that as well? Are you kind of? That's a yes. I know that's six, big, six but years. Like that's, um, well, I'm just, I can't wait for the borders to be, you know. Yeah. Um, we've got this movie up on these big screens. It's going through the country at the moment, this outside the valley, and you're seeing these beautiful images yeah. of, you know, Lisbon and Mexico City and yeah. just going, oh, you know, yeah, this, know. Is, this is hard work. Um, so yeah. certainly getting out into the world. That's where I get a lot of my education and inspiration yeah. from. So um, that's just been part of me for, well, mm. for forever. So that's... Within six years, I hope that's kind of a realistic horizon. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Feels a bit hemmed in at the moment, doesn't it? It feels that we're. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky, but it'd be nice totally to Totally grateful, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, someone 
and I'm sure like you, you have heritage elsewhere mm -hmm. and things and you want to go out and mm -hmm. visit people mm -hmm. or the planet. At the moment, yes, I can, but then getting back mm -hmm. and the oh, no, that's time the thing, and right? cost and yeah, stuff like right. So it feels yeah. awkward. Sorry. What about you? In the next, next six months, if I think about the zoo, um, mm. we're obviously opening ringtail lemurs um, next week, but the big one is snow leopards. Oh. So that's being planned Whoa. at the moment. So we'll be building that within the next six months. So snow leopards. So that's more Melbourne. than one then. Yeah, so we two, there's two. Two coming from Melbourne. Um, so that'll be finished um, probably around this time next year. So we'll be in full construction mode within mm. six months for them. Um, indoor, outdoor enclosure? Or so no, both? well, some of it will be indoor, yeah. um, but they like the cold. Yeah. And actually we did a whole lot of work um, with an environmental engineer and looking at the, the climate of where they come from, even though they were born at Melbourne Zoo, um, to what we've got in Wellington, it's about a one degree difference in terms of the hottest day. So. <laughs> It's not too bad, actually. And then they'll love the cold. Yeah. Um, so that are, that's going sort of between red pandas and sun bears. Yeah. So that's going in that part of the zoo. So that's quite exciting. Um, and for me, I mean, yeah, I want to, I need to go back to Australia at some point, mm -hmm. see my family. Um, so that'll be in the next six months as well. Yeah. Six years, goodness knows. Goodness knows. I've always been... Um, I'm always one for saying yes to opportunities. You know, like okay. I think you've just got to, if something happens and you think, wow, that'd be really cool, just do it. Mm. So I think, you know, take the opportunities as they come for the yeah. next six years. Well, I know you probably miss the travel because you get involved so much with speaking yeah. at conferences and yeah. stuff like that and sharing the yeah. story. How have you found the whole hybrid kind of stuff? Because I'm <gasps> sure you're still involved with these yeah. kind I'm of meetups. I'm a bit zoomed out, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing that we can still do it, you know, and actually have full-blown conferences that are virtual, yeah, amazing, which is amazing. Mm. Um, I think we do miss seeing each other. I mean, humans are social creatures, so you, you do miss that, you know, seeing your mates from Scotland or the UK or, you know, or from America. So you miss seeing them. Yeah. So hopefully in the next six years, we'll be able to get back to doing more of that. Mm. Um, hybrids are a little bit harder, I think, either full oh, virtual or face-to-face -face. hybrids are hard mm -hmm. I think definitely as an event yeah. organizer I'm always yeah. like real life has more bandwidth and even though I'm doing a lot yeah. of stuff online like MC and events online That's and right. stuff yeah that nah, still doesn't replace being in a room with it people it doesn't it doesn't and, and feeling that connection no. or the energy from the audience I'm terrible because I'm a yeah. diva so I like that energy back yeah, yeah exactly um, now I did a conference um, a couple of weeks ago for Green Loop so it's Blue Loop um, did a sustainability conference okay. and it was um, was really cool little thing. So what they did for all the speakers is we all met before the conference, we met virtually and then they had this little room we could go into virtually mm -hmm. and it was like speed dating. So you got three minutes to talk to the other person and then the next person came okay. or you could extend it for six minutes if mm. you were having a good time. It was very cool, <laughs> I really enjoyed it and I got to meet to all, all the speakers not just while we were presenting, but before it. Yeah. So there's really cool technology like mm. that that I can see mm. with now this stuff with COVID, it's getting more and more clever, Yeah. very clever. And understanding that we are humans, we need to have something different to just talk into a screen, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's something actually we tried 
uh, Casey from Territory 3 tried with our founder community, founder speed dating. Mm. And um, same concept, just yeah. everyone on Zoom, I, I think six minutes was actually the time they got. Yeah. And it was a little bit like a um, Sudoku puzzle for him to make sure yeah. no one met the same person again. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. But the connection value of that, I mean, we had, um, in one city, we had two founders who had, and you know, none of our city's ecosystems are that, that large. Uh, two prominent founders who'd never actually met each other and knew that they worked like literally a block apart. Wow. <laughs> and um, so it's just, you know, that, that hybrid sort of, yeah. even as an intro That's right. into so an in-person event just to, yeah. you know, to loosen things up, you know, like that mm -hmm. horrible drawing you made me do. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, we've learnt a lot uh, yeah, having to sort of look at some of this technology. Yeah. And to understand human behaviour, right? Because just COVID has put us in this situation where it's like so weird. How do we actually do the things that humans need to do? Yeah. yeah. So some clothing categories in the US, you know, which was locked in for quite some time, actually the purchases went, online purchases went up by a factor of 60%. 60. So people buying stuff that they couldn't wear other than inside their home. <laughs> they <laughs> got door clothed and things. Change between oh, Zoom yeah. meetings. Or... Yeah, it's a boys. We are an interesting species. Yeah, yeah. that was not <laughs> one I was, I was expecting to see. Well, the one, one clothing brand I would like to just highlight, which I've always thought they were both bold, but also getting it right, is Patagonia. Mm. I'm sure you're aware of with your sustainable. So, so glad you mentioned them. I've got a story about them. Right. Well, I just love that the audaciousness of them taking out full page ads in the New Yorker and you know, mm. saying, don't buy this jacket. You can kind of flip it and go, that's great marketing, right? These kind mm. of don't do this and stuff. But they, their whole point is don't buy this jacket because, you know, if you've got another jacket that's serving you, don't buy this. Mm. This is a great one if you haven't got it. Mm. But, you know, be conscious about what you're buying, where you're buying, and by by the way, this is all our end of life stuff and or recycling. But story about Patagonia. Well, I mean, exactly what you're saying, and they, I was immediately attracted to them because they look like one that was really pushing the message, and so you immediately go, hmm, you know, post truth era, right? Let's mm. have a look. Fascinating company, mm. um, passionate founder who is a surfer uh, originally, decided for some reason, don't even get the connection that um, climbers um, in California, where he was living, uh, would be better served by English rugby jerseys um, <laughs> as a good, rugged mm. sort of, you know, top outerwear. Started importing them, mm. um, selling them to that sort of outdoorsy community and then just sort of riffing on that. But um, incredibly committed to sustainability. Listen to a podcast of a CEO who basically told the CEO, which nearly killed him, killed the CEO to, to turn the whole company sustainable in three years wow. and he said you know boss this this could you know sink us it's going to cost a lot it's going to yeah. and but um, first company to announce that uh, they will sell their used clothing in their new clothing stores mm. and I think the, the the point of hope around that because I've told that story to a few people told it to an investor last week and they said yeah but Patagonia is always sort of out there but um, Followed the month after by Lulu, I don't even never know how to say this, Lululemon, let's just call them Lululemon, and um, Levi's. Uh. So now you're going to have this experience where, you know, and I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, Lululemon's going to do trade-in on some of your wear, which I... Which is active wear, right? Is active wear, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. through a hot cycle. That'd yeah, be fine. I, I, but, but the point being, um, 
that I think, yeah. and a lot of women I've talked to this, like, well, hell yeah, because it's so expensive. Yeah. If it I is. can, if you know, if it's a yeah. price differential. But that whole idea of stewardship that we talked about, you know, yeah. Patagonia's owned that, and they wouldn't be doing that because of regulation. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, right. And for years they've had a vans, and uh, mostly in the US, where you know you can throw your jacket in there, mm-hmm. and they'll fix a rivet, or they'll fix yeah. a, you know, because they they pride themselves on the lifetime value of that. Exactly. Yeah. Which is hilarious because you know. Uh, when we look about software as a service and tech companies, we're all about lifetime value of you know yeah. the customer buying your Zoom subscription, mm. um, but we haven't applied it to the clothing and textiles yeah, industry. That's right. And it's so obvious, yeah, buy for life, right? Still mm. a lot to do. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes you can buy something that you love. Yeah, that's There's right. There's nothing wrong with it, but the that's idea right. would be that you just keep yeah. that thing. Um, that's right. And I love that Patagonia does those things. They create the path for mm. other people to follow. Mm. And uh, a story came up this week about the idea of Roger Bannister running a four-minute mile, three-minute mile, four-minute mile, wasn't it? I think yeah. he broke that. The first ever guy to run the four-minute mile or mm. three-minute, whatever one he broke. I don't think but, he's done three yet. <laughs> good point. But he, it's, it's, uh, the idea is that no one thought that was possible until a chap did it. Mm. And then that year, I think three or four people did it just to prove that if you can do something first and so many people then come behind That's you. That's right. Because you know, they feel right. less risk involved. So Patagonia does that, I think, for the early. clothing industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. the early adopters. You don't want to be a laggard. No. <laughs> be out by yourself going, and everybody going, seriously? And going, yeah, because yeah. I'm a rebel or a progressive, as you said, progressive. Um, have we covered off most things that we like to cover? Have I missed any questions? This feels like a good way to wrap it up. I don't think so, DK. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been lovely it, to, to meet you. And, and um, you And love the zoo and love your work. And, and this is a cool thing that you do too, right? Because Thank it, you. Um, yeah. Right back at you. We just need to have um, more of these sort of conversations, mm. hopefully provoke some more thought for people. Yeah. And Definitely. That's right. Yeah, Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thank you Really appreciate much. you and fun. what you do. Thank you. Brilliant. I promised Thank that you. you delivered. Thank you for your time in listening to Creative Welly, episode 20. My name is DK, and big shout-out to John O'Tucker from Empire Films, who produced the video podcast, you're listening to the audio podcast, and David at Flash Dog Studios for hosting us. Subscribe to us from creativewelly.com, and keep having courageous conversations with bold humans.